Our scripture reading this morning um, is from Isaiah, the uh, 63rd chapter, verses 7 through 9. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for the house of Israel, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. He said, surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their savior. In all their distress, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lift them up, lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. And our gospel reading this morning is from the book of Matthew. If you're able and inclined, you're welcome to stand. Um, we'll be reading verses 13 through 23 in the, cha- the second chapter of Matthew. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord. So Christmas Day has now passed. We're a week past it. And a new year has arrived. So now what? Maybe half our, uh, we're, we're back to the humdrum of our routines or the impending ones that are about to come. Or maybe half-heartedly we're setting goals that expect that to be broken within a month's time. Or maybe, courtesy of the Franks, they were broken this morning. <laughs> or you're encouraged to delay them for a day or two. When it comes to our journey of faith as Jesus' apprentices, we recognize how Jesus has arrived. It's something we celebrate. He's at work in our lives and in our world and in history, as we've been singing even this morning. But life goes on. Bills come due. Children need attending to. We need to maintain our relationships, our health, our homes, and our cars. Our concerns for our well-being are still present. Diet and exercise plans are made and perhaps broken. And gifts need to be returned. 
Did you know that the Christmas holidays, uh, out of all the gifts given, 10 to 20% of them are returned right after the this, this season? Our participation in this incessant churn of capitalism has, that has co-opted the Christmas holidays is maybe something for us to think about. Well, today is the beginning of 2023. But is anything different other than the date that you don't long? I just thought about it. You don't have to write dates anymore because you remember when the first month of the year of the change, you'd always have to write, remember, and correct yourself? Is that the only thing that's changed with the turn of the new year? It seems fitting that our Advent Christmas series, Are We There Yet?, concludes with this message entitled, So Now What? It's a real question that we might be asking amidst the, as the buzz of Christmas passes as we settle into a new year. Yay, we remember that Jesus has arrived. Now it's 2023. So now what? Does this sound like too discouraging of a January 1st message for you? <laughs> I apologize. Happy New, year. Happy New Year. That's right. You know, Christ's arrival into the world is assuring. It is hopeful. But there are realities that we must face when God shows up in our world. There's real risk. There's real presence. But there's also really good news that comes along with it. Real risk, real presence, and really good news. Now, in the readings today that Alice uh, just read for us, the warm words of Isaiah's delight in God's goodness are juxtaposed against these real-life nitty-gritty details of Joseph caring for not only a new family, but for the Savior of the world. That's some high-stakes parenting on the line. At this point, he might be thinking, as a new dad, sure, the Messiah is here. Angels were singing. Wise men came and visited us and gave us extravagant gifts. Shepherds were there in the delivery room. Good and all. But now, I'm the one who's got to keep this baby and this mother safe and provide for them. It's like the host of a New Year's Eve party the next morning when everyone's gone and everything's left on the floor and the cups are all over the house. You've got to deal with the aftermath, the responsibility. And maybe that's why some of you are watching from home this morning. In Matthew chapter 2, God in the flesh has arrived in history in this town of Bethlehem. But Joseph and Mary must flee for safety to Egypt. Joseph, he's a, he was a carpenter. He may have been looking forward, you know, to getting married, starting a new life, building a home together with his new bride. But now he's been thrust in this role of providing for a migrant, homeless, refugee family in a foreign land. How did this come about? You know, in verse 16, Matthew tells us, that because of Herod's furor over the Magi failing to report Jesus' location to him, he orders all boys under the age of two to be killed. Think about that. That response from an insecure ruler seems a bit too familiar to the Jewish people. It's happened a couple of times in their history. So Joseph, rather than head to Macy's to pick up gifts on his wedding and bride, uh, baby registry, he must take his family away from home, away from the family network of support, away from the life that they knew, to Egypt. A place in Egypt, G G Jewish history is the one of enslavement. 
For Matthew and for us, recalling this story, you know, 2,000 years away from it, Jesus' arrival is this happy fulfillment of a long-awaited prophecy of God's faithfulness to the people of God. That's how we often view it. But for Joseph and for Mary, this is a moment of terror. The instability continues in verse 21. Even after Herod dies and they are able to return back to their homeland, they cannot return to the life that they hoped to live. They must relocate to this rural village of Nazareth rather than Jerusalem, where princes and kings rule from. Jesus' arrival into this world and into the life of this precious family seems to bring with it real risk. Never mind that both Mary and Joseph had already taken considerable risk up to this point. Mary, her taking on this pregnancy of, as an unwed teenager, and Joseph as for choosing to continue with the marriage to a woman who was carrying a child that was not his. Now, Joseph has to walk away from his carpentry trade to, that would support his family. He had to walk away from the goodwill and network of contacts that he had established. He had to walk away from his shop, from his tools, and from his home, all to bring this family to a foreign land. Can you think of doing that with your family? From the very get-go, life with Jesus isn't in the midst of their lives, isn't rainbows and unicorns. Jesus arriving to them didn't fulfill their dreams of success and prosperity. Jesus' arrival didn't mean that they were living their best lives. It didn't mean that they became their uh, most authentic selves. In fact, it seemed quite the opposite. In a modern Western culture, these ideals are often what we're told God will do for us. Or at least that's what we hope God will do for us. That God will come and guarantee success for us. God will help us live our best lives. God will help us live our most authentic selves. And when Jesus shows up, there is a real risk to the things that we've come to find most comforting in our lives. When Jesus shows up, he confronts those parts of our lives that we have sought security and identity in. These things that we put our hopes in that we are, we're never meant to carry the weight of our expectations. The gift of Jesus coming to us isn't that we get the things that we long for, but that we get Jesus himself. The gift of Jesus coming to us isn't that we get the things that we long for, but we get Jesus, God in the flesh. But that's not the bad news that we think it is. Though Jesus' arrival brings with it real risk to our way of being and knowing and moving about in the world, there is also a real presence, the presence of the living God that comes to be with us. You see, at one level, Joseph and Mary experience the presence of God in a way that no one else in history will ever get to experience. Think about it. Teaching the Son of God how to feed to toilet train. Imagine that. Hearing Jesus speak with a lisp as he learns how to talk. Imagine how they would feel if he stood up, you know, in Luke chapter 4 and they hadn't worked with him on his speech patterns and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor and proclaim good uh, freedom to the captives. Freedom. 
Okay, Elmer Fudd or Jesus? Wait, do you guys know who Elmer Fudd is? Okay, all right, I'm dating myself. How to manicure his peach fuzz into a nice, respectable beard during his teenage years. Can you imagine if Mary and Joseph had an Instagram feed, you know, at Parenting the Messiah? But that's not the experience of God's presence that we find described in Joseph's life. Take a look at what Matthew directs our attention to. There's three encounters here. In verse 13, uh, he says, Yeah, when, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Verse 19, after Herod died, and an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. Second half of 22, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. You see a pattern here? In the span of just 10 verses, Matthew highlights how Joseph experiences three divine encounters with the Lord in the form of dreams. Now, Joseph I think he's just trying to do his dad thing here, trying to provide for his family, to care for them. When God shows up in a dream to tell him to leave his home and take his family to Egypt in verse 13. Then after getting to Egypt, God shows up again and tells him to return to Israel in verse 19. And then sometime shortly after arriving or on the way, God shows up again and says, don't go here, go somewhere else. Don't forget, he has already experienced this earlier. This isn't new to Joseph. When the angel of the Lord directs him to proceed with the marriage to Mary after he finds out, or they both find out, that she's pregnant with someone who's not his. Amidst this real risk of trusting God is this gift of the real presence of God. Now you may be asking, you, you might be like risk averse temperamentally, but here we see that risk comes along with God's presence. In fact, God's presence is what leads Joseph and Mary to take on risk in their care of the infant Jesus, something that they probably weren't expecting. Now, it's easy to misread this link between risk and God's presence in a culture that often idolizes rugged individualism, where the, risk, the ones who take the riskiest moves are the ones who get recognized, the ones who get rewarded. That's what we often celebrate. That's what Hollywood celebrates, right? We may be, and we may read that into this ideal of Joseph as being the man's man, the leader, the sacrificer. And yes, he does do those things. But that would be a mistake to assume that taking risks for God is what is commendable here. That the more risk you take, that the more faith you have. Now, faith certainly involves taking risks because we let go of our control. Taking steps of faith involves risk in stepping into the unknown. And there are often times when God does show up in surprising ways when we do take risks beyond our comfort zone. But in this text, we find that Joseph takes on risk because God shows up, not so that God shows up. He takes risk because God shows up, not so that God shows up as we often like to think. It's like, God, I did this. Are you going to show up? Now, there are two implications when we understand this link between risk and the presence of God. One, that God speaks, and that God speaks specifically to Joseph in dreams, leaves open for us the possibility to experience God's 
nearness in these mysterious and special ways. God does speak. God does lead in ways that don't register with our largely left brain functioning in our modern world. There's a mystery to God's presence that we can open ourselves up to. And in other parts of scripture, we hear of prophetic words being spoken, of words of knowledge coming and of healing that is miraculous to us in our brains and in our realm, but it's not miraculous in God's realm. Joseph's care for his family is what appeared in what appeared to be risky moves and risky decisions was actually informed by God, a deep and abiding trust in God, a deep and abiding relationship with God, to hear God and to move when God speaks. You know, there have been times in my own life and in our family where God shows up in a dream or in with a word or a picture that turned out to be a timely reminder of God's care for me and for our family. Now, I'm not particularly, if you know me, I'm not particularly disposed to standing around waiting for words and pictures and to come. But, but when something does, and then when something sticks out, I ask God if there is a significance to it. I ask and I reflect on whether scriptures, it, it reflects God's character and action and mission in scripture. And if, when, it, when appropriate, I invite others in to help me discern it, whether this is truly from God. God does speak to us in ways that we may not expect because God is near to us. And God, and God, God does speak to us in ways that our personality disposition isn't inclined towards if we're willing to pay attention. Now, the second, that's the first implication of this risk in God's presence. Second implication of God's presence and risk is that it challenges our idea of what is considered a safe space, especially when that safe space is defined by our own uh, standards. So hear me out. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be considerate of others. We shouldn't, that we should be humble about our presumptions of those, about the lives and experiences of those who are different from us. We should always seek to create safer spaces for all. That's what God's love does for us, and God's love invites us to do for others. But I'm afraid that the demand for safe space is often on our own terms. It presumes that Safety is created by shutting out voices and experiences different from our own. Different values and different opinions don't automatically mean that you are being discriminated against or that your rights are being violated. The only objectively safe space in the universe is in the abiding relationship with the living God. And because only in God's presence do we find ourselves unconditionally loved, as we come before God. But as we've seen so far in this text, the safety of God's presence does not preclude change or discomfort or growth. God can often lead us into situations where we would not choose to go if it were up to ourselves alone. That's the risk that comes from being in God's presence. But it's a risk that comes with being in the safest place in the universe. When God's presence comes to, jo jo uh, to Joseph, Matthew tells us each time that he simply gets up and goes. 
God shows up, he gets up and goes. God shows up, he gets up and goes. Oh, that we would learn to have the sensitivity to God's presence and to have the simple trust and obedience of Joseph to get up and go whenever God leads us and shows up. You know, when our plans don't turn out the way we expect, Joseph's response to God shows us how to move forward, despite the apparent risk to our comfort and perhaps even to our livelihood. He has this deep and abiding sense of God's promise based on God's faithfulness in the past. Joseph continues living into this good news of Jesus' arrival, and despite the discomfort, despite the risk to him and to his family. And Isaiah gives us a hint of how to go forward when the world doesn't fit the destination that we had hoped to arrive at in our hearts and in our minds. In Isaiah 63, as, uh, just a reminder, verses 3, oh no, verses 7, I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord. It's an interesting word. I actually hadn't noticed that. Kindnesses. Kindnesses is. I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all that the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel, according to the, his compassion and many kindnesses. See, Isaiah prophesies to Israel as they are in exile. They're far from their homeland. They, things are not what they expect, yet things are not always, always as they seem. Things are not always as we expect, but things are not always as, we, as they seem. God is at work, and this God is compassionate, this God is kind, and this God is the one who does good things for God's people. And this is what Isaiah hints at here in Isaiah 63. And that hint is simply to tell the story. Tell the story of God's faithfulness. We can tell our story of God's faithfulness. We can tell the story of how God has, been, has acted for us, how God has acted with us. We can tell stories that we've read and the stories that we live. We can tell them to one another and we can tell them to the world around us. And as we tell them, we remember that God has come and that God has been doing things and God will come and will continue to do things in this world. Despite living in a world that doesn't look like what God's reign should look like, we will see glimpses of it here and there. We'll see it in us, we will see it beyond us, and we will see it around us. And that's the story that we are invited to tell. That's the story of good news. And that's what Jesus does, actually, when he shows up, when he grows up 30 years later and begins his ministry. That's mostly what he's been teaching and doing. When he teaches and he stands up, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. People get healed. This is what kingdom, this is what God, when God shows up, people are set free. See, this is what happens when God shows up. The marginalized are included and they're restored into community. See, this is what God's kingdom looks like. Unjust structures are made right and whole. As we conclude the Advent Christmas season, as we enter this new year, 2023, we might rightly ask, so now what? God invites us to lean into God's presence in Christ. God invites us to step into this risk of a life of faith in Christ.
to be open to the ways that God leads us unexpectedly and to tell the story of God's activity through Christ in the world. May we do so faithfully and faithfully because God is good and kind and he is at work. Let's pray. God, we, are, uh, we come before you with all of our selves, with our joys, with all, but also with our concerns. We thank you that you are kind and good, and you know us better than we know ourselves, and you're nearer to us than we could ever realize. On this first day of 2023, January 1st, may we be reminded of your presence with us and for us that we would be able to go and enter into what seems to be risky situations to our natural minds. But because, Jesus, you have come, and because, God, you are faithful to your promises, we have deep assurance that nothing is too risky for us to walk away from your presence and your love. Help us to give us faith where we don't have it. And help us to live faithfully and tell the story faithfully to those around us, for your glory and for our joy. In Christ's name we pray, amen.